Okay, if you all stand with me for the holy reading of our word, of the Lord's word. Reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 22 is the last section. We have uh, Pastor Charlie Younger joining us, so he'll be my alternating reader. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at, with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Eubulus greets you, and so do Prudence, Linus, Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. All together now? The Lord, Lord be, be with, with your spirit. spirit. Grace, Grace be, be with, with you, you all. all. Dear Precious Father, we thank you for gathering us here on this last Sunday of March, which also happens to be Palm Sunday. We ask that the message would fit and that as I preach, Lord, you would anoint my mouth with your Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and right before you. All of this we pray in Jesus' mighty name and the people of God said, Amen. You may be seated. Good afternoon. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. Uh, we come to the last Sunday of the month, and we also come to the last section of uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy. And from a chronological study, it's safe to estimate that it was written around 62 AD, just a few years before his death under the madman Nero. And being that today is Palm Sunday, uh, if David, if you could go ahead and start the track now, the sound, I have sound effects for this sermon. I thought that I would uh, juxtapose our text today with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem while riding on a donkey and the crowds in front of him and from the back of him cheering. They're cheering, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. You know, when they're shouting this, this is what is recorded in Matthew. It's from the Hallel, from the, uh, Psalm 118. Verses 25 to 26. By the way, 118 is a chapter that's found exactly smack dead in the middle of the Bible. And uh, 
it goes something like this in the original language. When we say Hosanna, they, it actually sounds more like this. Anna Adonai, Hoshiana Anna Adonai, Hatzlihana. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, b'raloklem mi beit Adonai. That was about 30 years before Paul's letter that is written today. Is it playing right now in the back? David? It, did it just start playing now? Okay. If you could go back to like sort of the middle part, that's where you will hear the Anna, Anna, Hoshiana. So they're cheering and cheering and cheering. On the Jewish calendar month of Nizan, um, after Jesus had completed his three-year-long ministry in the Galilean region, and according to John, Jesus had just uh, raised Lazarus from the dead, and he was entering into Jerusalem in triumph. And as he descends from the Mount of Olives, he sends two of his disciples to go fetch a donkey in its foal from the village ahead. And just as he said, there were two animals as tied, tied, tied up as described, and uh, so they say, the Lord needs them, and then, and then he brings, brings them to Jesus. They lay their outer garments on the animals so that Jesus would mount on one of them. And uh, at this very moment, Jesus is entering into a city where the people were waving the palm branches and, and laying out their cloaks, giving him the red carpet treatment. It is only days within the same, very same week where we see the people turn and they're yelling, Crucify! Crucify! Give us Barabbas instead. So on Palm Sunday, what we're facing, you could say that it's Jesus being poured out like a drink offering. That's what we are actually witnessing here. And as for the text that we come to today, uh, in accordance to the timing of the God the Father, um, Jesus is riding into the very city in which he would be tried and condemned to die an unjust death on the cross. And today, in our text, Paul too is aware of the time of his departure being near. So Paul, he knows that his time is up, right? And he's writing this letter. And he says that he's already being poured out like a drink offering. Like uh, the last bit of life that's left in him is going to be entirely uh, um, expended for the cause of the kingdom and the gospel. And that is the image that Paul paints of somebody who finishes strong. Finishing strong means to not holding, any, holding anything back in reserve, but in, until the very last minute, you're pouring all of your strength and your energy and your love into this task that was given ahead of you. In the next verses, uh, he says something, some astounding things that we should all hope to be able to see at the end of our lives. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. His apostolic zeal, he, he was zealous. He had this very, he, he had gusto. He had enthusiasm. He had fire for the gospel. And it was, from, it was coming from his, the prize that was before him. Just as uh, Jesus' reception on the, of the cross, when Jesus was able to receive the cross, it was because of the joy just behind it. Just like when a, when a mother is giving birth to a child, it's an excruciating pain that everybody, it, every woman I'm sure they dread at some level, right? Of course, the maternal instinct kicks in and then she's able to bear the pain. 
Afterwards, the joy that comes later after the child is born is incomparable to anything. This is precisely what Paul's joy was like. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. The first point of today's message is this. Run to win the prize. Run to win the prize. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, Paul says, I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Have you guys ever done some shadow boxing? You guys know what shadow boxing is? That's when you're like, you know, when you're in the corner of your room uh, facing a full-length mirror and you're, you're throwing jabs into the air, right? He's saying, make a solid connection. Don't go just through the motions. Don't run like someone running aimlessly. Know your purpose. Know your destination. And then lean forward and in, lean forward in and focus on it. Look at what Paul says in his first letter to the Corinthians. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. For the past three weeks, uh, your shepherds and I, we went through the house church book, which was written by Pastor Chai from, uh, Saul, uh, from Saul Baptist Church in Houston. And I can boil it down, the thesis of the whole entire material, I would boil it down that uh, it is, it is about, the house church is about doing two things, saving souls and making disciples. Saving souls and making disciples. If that is our target, then we know what the prize will be. When you get the VIP into, the, into your household and you're having the gathering, and no matter how long it takes, there are some stories in there in the case studies up to seven years for a family to come over. But when that happens, finally, it was a, a, a jo- like a celebration. Worth, it's a worthwhile celebration for everybody to rejoice in. When you gather together, I want you to remember that your goal is in being made His disciples. And when this is happening, you naturally go after the souls that Jesus loves. When we're becoming Jesus' disciples, we go after the souls that He loves. And uh, He wants us to take care for until they too can become disciples. The church, the body of Christ, is a saving body. If Christ is the head, are we a saving body? That is what we're that's what, that is what we're purporting to become. ESC at NBC is going to be one of the members of this greater body at NBC to bring the people into his fold. Right? At this point of the letter, Paul is basically saying that he did all those things. He did all that. He, he had this love for the souls. He had disciple people. And he has spread the gospel. So basically, all the way until the end of the line, he knows that he has no regrets. Because once he has met the Lord, there was no turning back for Paul. He knows with certainty and assurance in his conscience that he will receive not only a commendation from our Lord Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, but he is going to be a prize awaits for him. I don't know if he ever, if he knew that he would have been the author of 13 books of the New Testament, right? I mean, that's a distinction that no one else can claim anywhere in history. Some of us may think to ourselves, but gee whiz, Pastor Charlie, isn't, isn't being saved just enough? Should we even anticipate a prize? Well, 
Salvation was granted free for all so that no one can boast. It was granted to us for free. But all we have to do is to believe, that, believe and trust in what Jesus did. But once we are saved, once we are saved, that's not the end of the road. That's the departure of a new life. Once you are saved, it is your focus on the prize that makes your salvation a tangible reality, not just a, a spiritual concept that's hovering in the air. We understand that contractually and doctrinally, once we receive Jesus, that we're saved, right? But if you want to savor that, if you want to savor that in your daily life, if you want to experience God in that tangible way, you've got to focus on the prize, focus on the task, be on the mission of God. Consider when Jesus says, Things like this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So, even though in a triumphant way in this time of Christendom, when we talk about four billion people adhering to, to the Christian faith, I gotta wonder, how many of those, how many of those have really gone through the narrow gate? How many of them have really understood the message and the person of Jesus? How many of them have actually met with Jesus and are speaking to him and hearing him and trying to, and, and trying to really carry out a life that pleases him? I want you to remember from last Sunday, authenticity of your faith is proven by what you have endured for it. We learn that those who want to live a righteous and a holy life will certainly suffer persecution for their faith. Now, a pastor friend of mine I interviewed recently, he told me that so-called persecution in the United States is minuscule compared to what the rest of the world is uh, going through. In absence of such things, you should at least anticipate hardships and bear them like the cross with gladness. Hardships, you bear them with gladness. Those long, hard days where your body's aching at the end of the night and you just want to hit the, hit the pillow, right? Those are long, blessed days. When, when the Bible says, may your days be long, it means may you have great productive labor under the sun. Don't turn faith into something that you just picked up like a souvenir along the way of your life, but rather come to realize that it is central thing. It is a central thing by which everything else becomes lined up into the appropriately lesser things of importance. I was uh, just sharing with uh, some people back there that yesterday, while I was driving to church, I got into a pretty horrendous traffic accident. I was making a turn on, the, on Valley View, and this kid, he didn't see the light change. He ran a red light, and he clipped me. He broadsided me. If I had been just a few feet, few feet, feet forward at the time of the impact, it could have been a, a crippling injury. But the Lord has saved me. And I was bemoaning the fact, oh, my Lord, you know, that car, I love that car. You know what kind of car that was, you know? And I'm, like, so bummed out because, you know, I, I'm no longer in possession of my, my favorite, you know, my, my automobile, right? But, uh, you know, when you think about life being preserved in this matter, I got to certainly tell you that uh, gratitude goes before the, the being, feeling bummed. Running to win the prize is like saying, Live out an effective life for Christ. Open yourself up to the opportunity to savor the triumph of Christ in your life. Don't, don't cover yourself up. Don't protect yourself up so much to the possible risks 
that you would miss altogether the presence of God. Being made into disciples yourselves and then winning souls for Christ and then later marveling as they too become disciples. You know, uh, when I heard that Jason O became a pastor, that was a big surprise for me because I didn't, I, didn't I didn't think that would happen, you know. And uh, anyway, uh, whenever we have people that were new believers or immature believers that God himself handpicks and then grooms them, trains them, has them go through the rigors of some of the hardships of life, and then you see them mature into holy disciples of Jesus, that is something to marvel at. That's something to praise God for. Paul says that the Lord will reward to him the crown of righteousness, but not only to him, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you live with that kind of anticipation in your heart where you want, you want to see Jesus? You want to see Jesus in the flesh today, right? Do you have that kind of longing for his appearing? Because that's, that's really what allows me another, another day. I could go to another day because I have this hope that it will be one day closer to the coming of our Lord Jesus. I pray that Jesus will take the central role in your life in that way. That when you call him Lord, that we all know that you are making a genuine confession. The second point of the message today is that there are few at the finish line. Few at the finish line. Paul is asking Timothy to come to see him one last time. Possibly the very last time, right? But he had people that he was traveling with that left him for a variety of reasons. He didn't have a big, huge posse, you know, following him around. He, didn't, it wasn't, he wasn't like Jesus. Jesus had crowds following him because Jesus turns like, you know, he feeds five, thousands of people with bread and fish, right? Well, Paul didn't. He had, if, if he had crowds, there were mostly crowds that were anticipating his imprisonment and persecution. He had a few friends, and he mentioned some of them by name, Demas, who had left him. Left, he abandoned Paul because he loved the world. Demas' desertion to Thessalonica was because he had abandoned the faith. How disheartening must that have, must that have been? Why does Paul mention this? Because he, he's warning him. He's warning, he's warning Timothy and the people, this is a case. It's a case, it's a case study of failure in the, in the faith finishing strong. Sometimes we might think that our, if our pastors, if our pastors were more like Paul, that we would stick around and be faithful. But I notice that in our scripture today, we see that even Paul was deserted by someone, especially because he found the life in this world more attractive than the way Paul was living his life. I've been to quite a bit of a short-term mission outings, and I see how the missionaries live out there. And I, and I was afraid. I was afraid each time. I was like, would I be able to do that? Would I be able to let all that go and do that? And later on, it, it changed. My heart changed to, why am I afraid of such a thing? When, when being there is being, if, if, if being there means being closest to the Jesus that, that you know, then that will be far worth it. Far worth it. Worth more than anything that we can try to preserve of this life here. And to be sure, 
Paul mentions some other guys, Crescens and Titus. We're not sure if they left the faith also, but I don't think, I don't think that's the case. And right now, at the moment, when he's writing this letter, only the physician Luke, the one who writes Luke and, and Acts, he's sticking to Paul's side. And Paul wants to see Timothy and John Mark one last time. And he, and he mentions that he had sent Tychicus to Ephesus, maybe to relieve Timothy so that he could see him once more. And while at it, he wants some of his personal belongings to be brought to him. He says, my scrolls, especially the parchments. These were the, the, these were the uh, like paper-like substance, the, the, the material on which, on which a lot of his letters were written on, right? Could it be that some of the previous letters that he had written already, like the letter to the Galatians, Romans, maybe he wants them maybe to revise them or to look at them one more time. At the beginning of the year, when we did the early morning Zoom service for seven weeks, the very first time, we had like 80 people show up on the screen. 80 people with all their uh, faces showing. And at the end of it, it was more like half of the number that were there. So that's like a 50% reduction from the beginning. It is said that on average, for big city marathons, have you guys ever read a, ran like a 5K, 10K, or like a half a marathon? Anybody here ran a marathon? No. June, did you ever read a, uh, run a, mar- a full marathon? Get yourself off a of mute. Not a full marathon, no. You did a half a marathon? Some, yeah, something like that. Did you finish, okay, re- respectable time? Uh, it was my first time doing it, so <laughs> it wasn't what I wanted. Okay. Yeah, I mean, out of, for every 1,000 people that register for a marathon, 820 people will actually start the race. So even before the race starts, we're seeing 180 people drop out. And then about 650 fin- actually finish the race. Paul here is not only concerned with finishing the race, but he, he wants to run to win the prize. He wants to stand on the podium. He, he doesn't want second place. He, want, he wants to be first. That's the kind of, that's the kind of um, passion that was driving him. And I have to tell you, not a whole lot of people are accompanying him on that journey. Therefore, the company is very few when you are running for the prize. Just as when Jesus was finishing his own mission, the path toward the cross was not only a lonely journey, it was, it was marked with betrayal and abandonment, ultimately, even by his own father. Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. And all of this, he knew ahead of time, but I have to tell you, probably not, doesn't make it any easier because he knew ahead of time. Faith is often like this. You can have a group of like 50 youth kids, for, and for years you could have them. You could have your youth kids, and uh, you have your worship services, you have your retreats, you have your lock-ins, and you have all these outings. And then when, when they go to college, many of them drop out of the faith. If you started out, uh, out with 50 kids, and you have like 25 people still going to church, that's a remarkable uh, statistic, I would have to say. I was speaking to one of my shepherds uh, last Thursday, and that was the case with him. Many of his peers abandoned the church. They no longer believe, and they're living like the rest of the world. 
And when I reflect back on my own former youth ministry, I see that today only a small fraction of the kids that I pastored are still abiding in the faith. That's how it is. The longer the journey and towards the end, a lot of people you'll find that are dropping out. And in the, in the case of faith, it's a disheartening reality that even more people are dropping out than, a, than in a marathon race. The few that stick around uh, in their local church, these are the ones that have committed themselves for the long haul in the right way. I know that uh, that kind of consistency and faithfulness will be rewarded in the same way that Paul anticipates his own reward. Amen? That's right. May each of you show Jesus your faithfulness to the situation that you are placed in so that he blesses you with more as you are proven to be trustworthy with more. That's why Jesus says, be faithful in the small things and more will be given to you. Now, at my first defense, he says, Paul, no one came to my support, but everybody deserted me. May it not be held against them. What a grand gesture. You know, sometimes when pastors lead a ministry and one of their flock have to leave for whatever reasons, man, it, 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 it's a kind of a hurt, you know. You, you just kind of like, oh, we were starting something. And then when they go, you just go, oh, man. It can be a disheartening experience. But Paul says here, may it not be held against them. Don't be thrown off by people no longer joining us. The nature of anything rigorous will thin out the herd. Once the heat is turned up a little bit and there's an activity going on, it gets busy here, then some people that were like, oh, you know, hurrah, hurrah from the beginning might no longer be here, actually. And the closer you are to the finish line, you will find that company is sparse. Now, interestingly enough, here Paul goes naming names. He mentions a certain Alexander, the metal worker, who had done to him a great deal of harm. Now, I don't know where he is referring to. If, if Alexander is from Ephesus, he had the, in the book of Acts, he had the scuffle with the, the silversmiths, with uh, Demetrius and the others, right? Now, he, he might have been one of those guys, but he might have been in Rome. And we wonder, what did he do to Paul that he, uh, he says that he had done to him a great deal of harm? Did he organize an attempt on Paul's life, like many of the Jews? Uh, whatever it was, it was not a small deal. Paul tells Timothy to be on the guard because this man is not a friend of the gospel message. You find those too. The faith journey is not just friends. There are some people that will be very much enemies opposed to the message. There remains a sting of wrong that was done to Paul personally and also to hinder the movement that God was placing him in charge of. Now how, how Paul consoles himself is that he is so sure that this man is against the Lord, so he knows that the Lord will repay him for what he has done. How, does, how might Paul know that the Lord will repay him? He might have had a first-hand experience of it. If you remember back in Acts 9, let's go back to Acts 8, when Stephen was being stoned and killed, Paul was among the midst of the people who had given the thumbs up for that execution, death by stoning. Later on, when uh, Paul meets the Lord and he's blinded and he's, going, he's being taken to, to uh, uh, where, where Cornelius was, Cornelius is worried because this Paul is a, Saul of Tarsus is a dangerous man. This is, what, this is what Jesus says. He says, don't worry. This is a chosen instrument of mine 
and I myself will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Cleansing. Cleansing. Jesus cleansed Paul through the suffering. Now he's able to see the narrow gate through which every true believer must pass. He's able to exhort the other people because he had gone through it himself. He had come out cleansed and shiny, the former enemy of the gospel, the former persecutor of the people that belong to the way. Notice, Paul did not get his strength ultimately from popular support. He did not need a whole wide-ranging bunch of friends. You know, he, he was not in there in the, in the long haul for a popularity contest at all. But rather, he got his strength from the Lord. That's the third point of the message today. It is the Lord who gives us strength. It is the Lord who gives us strength. There are some days, some tough days, right? <laughs> right? I had a pretty tough day yesterday, actually. You know, and uh, I was like not feeling it all day, just you know laying down, and I was you know soaking. You know what it feels like? Suddenly, it feels like the protection of God has been lifted off of you when something like that happens. It's like, you know, it's not the first time. I remember when I was riding my bicycle with Pastor Charlie years ago. I took a really bad fall, you know, and I had like scraped up my arm like really badly. It was really really red, and. Um, and I remember riding back, just tuck-tailed, like, you know, whatever glory and gusto of the riding, it was like at the end of the day, just really feeling bummed out, right? But in the end, why, why is it that I'm able to stand here? I got to tell you, it's because the Lord is the one who gives me strength. It's the Lord who gives us strength. The situation could look very bleak from, from up close, but when you have the Lord from a distance beckoning your call, then you know that you can go through it because he will provide and equip those who are on the journey. Verse 17, but the Lord at my side, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now, when he says the lion's mouth, I don't know if you guys remember the story of Daniel. Daniel was in the, in the back in the days uh, he was thrown into the lion's den and he was delivered. So, so he was in some perilous danger and some kind of persecution, but he was rescued. Maybe this Alexander that, that Paul mentions might have had something to do with it. Uh, if you have studied, as we studied Acts, Paul had gone through some, some close calls, many close calls. While we don't know all the details of the circumstances of the now, we can guess that it was one of those close calls that he had avoided because the Lord rescued him. Where we find most convincing, where we find it most convincing that he, is, he truly, he truly receives, is receiving the strength from the Lord is that Paul, as he is prepared to face his own death, he states that the, rescue will, uh, the, that the Lord will rescue him from every evil attack and will bring him to safety into his heavenly kingdom. So even while he's anticipating the death, he knows that at the end of it, he will make it to his journey. So it's not, it's not the fear of death. There's some other things. Apparently, there's some other possible dangers, but the Lord will safeguard his, his final entry into the kingdom of God. I mean, he's already there, but the final destination, I mean. 
Secondly, he also says that he does not hold anything against the people that had to leave him. He doesn't have any grudges against the people that had to leave him. Paul distinguishes between those who, are, who, are, who meant to him to do deliberate harm, the people that were being evil, versus the people that, who just could not stay. That is a place of grace, brothers and sisters, where you know for certain that the strength is coming from the Lord when you have that kind of grace. If you're holding a grudge about anything, it is because the source of your own strength is not from God, but from your own ego, from your faculties, from your pride. Human pride is a very fragile thing. It can be taken away in an instant. Believe me, pride is a source of strength. Ask anybody in the United States Marine Corps. They are few, they are the proud, but pride makes an awful source of strength when, when the power that you need is grace. You need grace. Grace and pride, is, they're not compatible. The title of our message is Finish Strong. And I would be help, it would be helpful for you to know um, how our predecessors had finished strong. Paul is finishing strong in this letter as he's being, being emptied like a drink offering. And when you examine the history of, of Christianity, we have a rich legacy of faith heroes, people that have gone before us that have finished marvelously. Not only those who have met an untimely death through martyrdom, although martyrdom is never untimely death. Even those older folks who had remained faithful all throughout their lives to their very last days. It is these folks we want to look, for, look to for the secret, how they do it. The late Billy Graham, for example. He lived to his ripe old age until the very, very end, being very faithful to the task, to the faith. I'm sure Billy Graham was one of those people that could have been say, saying, I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. I have fought the good fight. That's what we want to know. How they were also able to finish strong by the strength that the Lord, our Lord has given them. We want to tap into that strength for our living. So, just to review the points. Number one, what was it? Run to win the prize. Number two, don't be dismayed when you are near the finish line and you find that there's no people running alongside you, that there's no company. When you're running and you feel like somebody's close, do you look back? Somebody might be chasing you and do you, do you, do you look back? When you're running for the prize, you don't even look back. You don't care who might be near you or behind you. You just run to finish that, to, to cut the tape, right? Thirdly, don't let people let you down as you anchor your hopes in the Lord to draw strength from Him. Even the people that are closest to you, they will fail you, they'll disappoint you. They'll disappoint you because your expectation was not met at a certain time, a certain way. But when you draw the, the strength from the Lord, He never lets you down. That's a fact. He never lets you down. We let ourselves down because we go run to other things, but when we seek from God, from, from, our, our, from Lord Jesus, He will not let us down. And to the last point of our, today's message, we draw from Paul's final greetings in the people that he mentions by name. Is The fourth point is appreciate the co-laborers. Appreciate the co-laborers. 
I don't, I'm sure I don't say it enough uh, when I hear you, the praise team and the shepherds, when you guys do your thing, because we're now part of a worship team here. You know? It's not just me. I'm doing, delivering the message, but the announcement is very much part of the worship. You doing the prayer is part of the worship. You're open, it's an opening prayer for the whole service. When you guys are, when you, guys are uh, you know, um, when you rehearse, and then you do the, when you lift the praises to God, that's part of worship. That fellow back there that we don't see the face, David, doing the, the slides, that's all part of worship, and we're working together. And this is what we notice Paul doing. He mentions these people by name. He mentions them, and he sends his greetings to Priscilla. We have a Priscilla here. He's writing to Timothy. We have a Timothy here too, right? Coincidence. <laughs> And then he, he talks about, uh, he provides the latest news with Erastus, Trophimus, and he sends greetings to Eubulus, Prudence, and Linus, Claudia, all the brothers and sisters. So when you have labored together for Christ, when you have shared a certain amount of, of task and suffering together, you appreciate each other. You appreciate each other. Remember, when it is few, when you're running the race and when you're ahead of the, when you're ahead of the race and you, you are finding very few, you do look back. You do look back and you, you give a shout out to the names of the people that were very important to you in the ministry. Right? I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the shepherds. I appreciate the praise team. I appreciate David, you know, making it every Sunday. Without fail, that is a commitment that you're showing. Not because you said, I would do it, but you're just doing it. You're just coming. Because the Lord is beckoning you. Because the Lord leads you. And to please Him, it's worthwhile, isn't it? It's more than worthwhile. If you've ever done a short-term mission outing, you may have encountered some mission team members from the country that you were staying at. Now, if you've ever done like a more than a one week long, like I think Pastor Charlie has done like a almost like a nine-month stint out in Kazakhstan. I don't, do you still keep in touch with the, some of the people there? <laughs> I think, I think uh, uh, for me, there's a few people from when I was in uh, Ecuador, when I visited Ecuador, and when I visited Peru. Uh, there was one fellow in, from Ecuador that, that I still keep in touch with because even though we were there for a short time, that was a visit to the country that I lived in for three years, so it meant something to me very deeply. It was a, I was being acquainted with God that I had not known yet. He was still there when I was a little boy running around like a wild, feral children, you know, running around Quito, in the streets of Quito. And uh, all of these people that you look back to and then you, you name them by is a reminder that you don't do it alone. Even the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the missionary, missionary par excellence, he wasn't alone. He was with the, his faith partners that journeyed along with them together. And so sweetly he concludes his letter with this message, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. I too will borrow these words and I'll conclude the message on that same note. The Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you all. Amen? Amen. Now, before we do the uh, praise in response, uh, I'll invite you to do um, 
to join us in the communion service. Uh, the, re the reason why I pulled it ahead, of, ahead one week is because next week we have, as it was mentioned by the announcer, uh, April 4th is Easter Sunday, and we do not have the 1.30 service. We have a 10.30 joint service all together. Uh, it will probably max out at the seating capacity, so outside tent will be provided. Especially if you are concerned about your safety, you're welcome to come and join us uh, under the sun. And also, today being Palm Sunday, the coming Thursday is Maundy Thursday. That's when Jesus did this. Reading from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Now go ahead and open up very gingerly the top layer. And you'll get the communion wafer. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink it from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take the bread and the cup together. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the sacrifice, showing us what love looks like when you display it for all of us to see and witness. As we take this bread, as we take this a cup together, may we, Lord, uh, be reminded that the sacrifice was a costly one. Help us walk in along the way that, that, it makes, that it makes that sacrifice worthwhile. Lord, uh, help us lift your name high. Help us glorify you with us, with us living our lives to the very end like Paul did, finishing strong. We thank you for your flesh, we thank you for your blood that gives us life. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Now at this time we'll have a time of praise after which we have offering.